I was a uh, practicing clinician working in a home health agency model. I wasn't allowed to dose my patients as per best practice guidelines. So I said, there's gotta be a way to do this better. My, my grandmother and my grandfather, I started seeing them going in and out of long-term care. It started personal seeing the sick side of 80, and now it's been exciting to be part of Fox. Light bulb moment, like that's a complete game changer. You can see what we can do as a practice and as treating clinicians to really make 80, 85 look so much different than it did back that long ago. And boil it down into one say, it's quite simply this, it's be stronger, live better longer. Welcome to Fox Rehabilitation's Live Better Longer podcast, the podcast dedicated to clinicians who work with older adults. My name is Jim Shear, and today I am joined by Fox Rehabilitation physical therapist and regional director, Joe Nacera. Joe, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Jim. So happy to be here. Always a pleasure. <laughs> did, we, did we first meet on the boat? We first met on the boat, yeah. On the boat, yeah. So there was a, there was a trip, and I met Joe on a boat, and I just remember having a nice conversation with you as the boat was, I don't know what it was traveling down, whether it be a river or a bay. And then I think- That was incredible. I remember then after I spoke with you, I spoke with <laughs> Romeo. So I was speaking with one Fox Rehabilitation All-Star after another. <laughs> but you brought up this topic- and then I said, you know what? That'd be a great topic to talk about on the podcast. We were talking about the pandemic because I think this might have been 2021, possibly 2022. And you had moved from Long Island to Florida. And we were talking about the pandemic and you were talking about all of the patients that you lost. Yeah. And what we're going to talk about today is mental health. Like, what does a clinician do if they're battling anxiety and depression? So, Joe, I'm just curious, did this topic come about connected to the pandemic and what you went through during that time? Absolutely. It was a big part of it. I, I live with a diagnosis of depression and anxiety. So there, it's, it's a constant management process. Um, and that was one of the most difficult times in my 30-year career in, in healthcare was during COVID. And then can you just take me through what happened? Because someone, before I even met you, they had sent me a link. And I think you had attended some type of presentation ceremony at a senior living community just because they lost so many residents. Yeah. So can you just take me through that time? Yeah, absolutely. So I worked in a community in Long Island, New York, and we had lost um, 38 patients during COVID, during a three-month stretch. Um, it was, um, I hate to say, use the term like, like, like war, but it felt like war because as clinicians, we help people and it was a complete helpless feeling, just people day after day after day passing away. Um, the worst peak of that was we lost five patients in one day. I personally lost five of my patients in one day, um, and finding out through the word of mouth really, because it was people were isolated. So not only were they passing away, but it, it was the way they had to pass away because they had to be isolated away from family, um, away from loved ones, away from that support. So it, it was heart wrenching. It really was. No, because I hear of clinicians who lose patients and that is a huge deal. And not to lighten that, but when you said, what was it, 38? That's yeah. a staggering number and yeah. five a yeah, day. So how did you compose yourself at that time? Uh, it wasn't easy. To be honest, it was not easy at all. I had, 
I have an amazing support system. I'm blessed. I have an amazing wife, amazing children, two young men. Um, and it's, it's, it's a constant battle. And how I composed myself was using them as my support. Um, they told me I was headed down the wrong path, sitting at home, you know, drinking wine every night at night instead of taking care of myself and just sitting around. Um, you got to get off your rear end and really practice what you preach for your patients. You can't take care of other people unless you're well taken care of yourself, for sure. And Joe, you you talk about living with depression and anxiety. So did you have a a good tab on that prior to the pandemic? Like, were you actively working on yourself prior to that? I was, yes, but not to the level that I had to at that point. I really learned a lot more about myself, about mental illness in general, that I had to take it to the next level. I had to do a lot. I had to um, maintain good health with exercise, with diet with getting the right amount of sleep. Um, these things that when you're anxious and you're upset and you're depressed, you literally are doing the opposite. Um, so you're, you're battling against yourself with that. I was headed down a wrong path and I had my family to kind of right the ship and be like, you need to take care of yourself. You know, you have asthma, you're taking care of people with a breathing condition. You need to, you know, to get on that treadmill, to run, to do this, to do that. And, and that's when I woke up a little bit more. How did you do that? Because I know a lot of people in the pandemic, I knew it wasn't good for them mentally, but they just kind of were just plowing through the pandemic. So how did you actually stop, if you could for a moment, to take care of yourself? That's a good question. Um, I knew I had to. I read the way I felt and the way I was headed. I couldn't, I couldn't function if I didn't take care of myself. So I got to the point where I understood where my limitations were and what I had to do to take care of that. So I seeked out psychotherapy, something I hadn't done in years. That helped a lot. Just talking to somebody that wasn't family, that was nobody who knew knew me at all, was really a big help. So that that was huge for me. Um, and we did it by Zoom, and then I was able to go into the office because she was comfortable with that. And I loved that. I just loved having that resource and that outlet. And I could say, like, it, you could you could go to therapy just for one patient, but for multiple patients, what did you learn in therapy that helped get you through that? Um, that as physical therapists or as clinicians in general, we are people who restore life and we are caretakers. So to have that many people, like you said, that staggering number of people in, in a loss, um, it's a post-traumatic stress event. So I really learned that I made such a difference in those people's lives while they were here that I know I did everything. With Fox, we do everything, what, 150%, right? So every single treatment, I know I gave it my all and I gave them literally my all until their last day. And I was a better person for doing that with them and for them and experiencing what, you know, their life. So Joe, when you lose a patient, do you connect with their family members? Do their family members connect with you? So here's, here's, and I'm so glad you asked that question because this was um, during an event where I was in quarantine because I was exposed, I was sent home. Um, during that time when I was sent home, I received around 15 phone calls from family members thanking me for being there for their parents until the last days, for making a difference in their life. And, you know, we'd love for you to come to the funeral, but at this point we couldn't even do that if we wanted to, because it's family only. So, I mean, just getting those phone calls to me, that was, that was cathartic. That was, that was therapy in itself. Cause I know I did everything I could and, and, you know, made them feel better. And Joe, in your email to me, you said clinicians are so good at taking care of others how do they take care of themselves? Yeah, we're, we are really good. I mean, we're, we're doctorate, masters, educated 
clinicians that we know how to take care of our people. And, and we have that empathy and that love factor for our patients. And we are able to build such amazing relationships. But at the end of the day, when that's all over, we go home, we have to take care of ourselves. And some of us are not really great at that. Uh, we fall into bad habits, bad patterns, and um, that work-life balance kind of tilts in one way or the other. Um, and it's that fine balance of maintaining that and finding a, what helps us be happy outside of work. Um, we can't always be thinking about work. We can't always be thinking about documentation. You have to know to close the computer and to stop and end. And, and limitations. Do what makes you limitations. Do what makes you happy. And for everybody, the coping mechanisms are different. But you have to do them. You have to find them. And, and for your own mental well-being and health and your families and your support systems life, you need to do that. So, Joe, if you are aware of your own wellness, do you think that makes you a better clinician? I think it makes me a much better clinician. Oh, just from an empathy factor and knowing what people are going through when they have these issues of depression and anxiety and knowing what they're dealing with on a daily basis and kind of giving them the tools, the tools that I've learned over my years, the diaphragmatic breathing, the um, progressive muscular relaxation. I love giving people tools and adding them into their toolbox so they don't have to just go to their medication or or just a therapist. They have 50,000 things that they could do in, in addition to those other support systems that are very important. So I think that makes me a strong clinician and it makes my patients, you know, more comfortable. And do you have any tips so say if there's a clinician listening right now and they're like, yeah, I'm like teetering totally in the wrong direction. Like, how would you set them straight or get them on the right path? So I got a lot of tips, but I'll yeah. give you my top. This is a podcast. You can go as long as you want on a podcast, Joe. Tip away. I, so, I mean, coping mechanisms are different for everyone. Universally exercise, diet, and your support system are the bones of like a good mental health um, structure. Toxic relationships can be life altering. They can take you down that path of not having the right people behind you that need to support you when you're at the, at the worst, um, the worst times. So cutting those ties sometimes are really what it takes to get to that next level. Uh, my family knows that every Sunday from September to January for about three hours, I'm going to be in my happy place watching my New York football giants. That's one of my coping mechanisms. That's what makes me happy. That's my stress release. I love it. You know, in addition to the outdoor stuff I get to do in a beautiful state of Florida, I'm glued to that TV um, for those three hours, for those months. Now you're, you're smiling now, but I feel like there's a lot of people out there, if they take that three hours on a Sunday to watch a football game, they almost feel guilty about it. They're like, nah, like I could be doing chores or getting like work done around the house. Like, yeah, you can do chores and work, but that three hours is like me time that's so important. You, you need that for yourself. And it, I mean, like I said, it, exercise, get seven to nine hours of sleep, which is, you know, most of us don't get that amount of sleep. Let's be honest, right? Um, wake up, have our coffee to kind of get through the day. But we really need to get that that sleep and eat a proper balanced diet. Hey, my wife's a dietitian and a personal trainer, so I have some some cheat sheets. Um, it's why I have this beautiful physique of mine. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's it's all about maintaining those things, those, those good good habits. Um, but uh, my happy place is also playing the guitar, playing the ukulele, um, watching YouTube videos and learning about, you know, about how to play this song and that song and then getting out there and doing it. And that those are my happy places. You got to, everybody's got to find a different one. Um, I taught, I taught coping mechanisms for years before I was a physical therapist as a case manager working with the mentally ill. 
And I taught people, you know, it's going to be different for everybody. We're going to keep a box. And in that box, we're going to keep those things that you go to when you need to get to that happy place. Um, and it may just be a picture of something or maybe an idea or maybe a journal, but it's going to be different for everybody. But we got to find those things that, add, you know, fulfill our life and make us happy. So you said you like playing guitar. Yeah. How often do you play guitar? Um, it depends. A couple times a week. I, I, I've been really with the ukulele lately. But just because it's a little more fun. The reason I bring that up <laughs> is, do you make time for it? Oh, yeah. Because I think that is important. Because it's like, I love yeah. playing guitar. It's this release for me. But I haven't played guitar in five months. Like, right. that's not good. No. No. I, I have a very specific, I'm very, very type A. So I'll put on the Yankee game, pick up my guitar. And I'm doing two things that make me really happy at once. So I can't lose, you know. And I'm surrounded by my wife and sons who also both love the, you know, the New York Yankees and to watch with me. So to me, that that is such a happy place, you know, to share the things I love with the people I love is is a special thing to have. And then we mention it often on the Live Better Longer podcast. It's amazing how exercise, sleep, and hydration are the cures for so many ills. So many things. Oh my goodness. I mean, think about it. Exercise releases endorphins. So you get to, you get that happy, you get a good high, right? A healthy high and something that promotes good health. Um, I know after I go to the gym, I come out feeling super energized. I may go dragging, dragging myself in there, but coming out, I feel like I've had full Red Bulls and I'm ready to take on the world. So, I mean, that's, that's an ultimate feeling. Yeah. Katie Cooper, who runs our Live Well with Fox program. It's, it's our wellness program with Fox. She says after an animal has like a stressful conflict, they shake themselves. Right. And that makes them feel better. So she equated that to dance or exercise. Like that movement for your body is so important. Right. And I, I love that. And I'm part of the Live Well program for regional directors right now. And I am loving every minute of it. Katie Cooper is, has, is meant for that role. She is amazing. <laughs> Um, I, I love everything she says, and I feel I feel better leaving her her um, session every single time. So, Joe, you are a regional director, so you are overseeing other clinicians. How do you make sure that they practice good mental health? That's great, and I, I'm I'm big team guy, as I was saying earlier. Like I'm all about the team. Um, we we communicate all the time. We we're huge with chat and teams. We have a chat for each team. For each building we're in, I'm I'm a sci-fi nerd by nature. I have named them all: the my Marvel Avengers team, my Return of the Jedi team, my my <laughs> Fellowship of the Ring team. Uh, I try to make it fun and silly and kind of dorky, but at the end of the day, we're we're in touch with each other all the time, and it's those check-ins, those mental health check-ins. But how you doing? How's everything going? You know, how how's your work-life balance? Like, how do you feel it is going? Um, you need to check in and take the temperature of each person, and and kind of get their feedback. Not everybody's going to come forward and say, Joe, I'm struggling. It, sometimes you have to ask, and that's all it takes is you just asking. So it's it's taking the temperature of each clinician and really feeling where they're at. And we're big on morale events on this team. We love doing fun stuff. So we do get together quite a bit for a team that's really spread out about 110 miles along the stretch. Um, we find common ground and we kind of get together quite a bit. So that's another thing that is I feel is really important. So, Joe, I feel like we come from a similar era, age-wise. Oh, yeah. And growing up, you know that <clears throat> this discussion wouldn't have been happening on talk radio. No. And it was almost a sign of weakness 
if yeah. you went to therapy, it's like, oh, he can't cut it. So I'm just curious, at what point in your journey did you decide to do therapy? Well, when I first got diagnosed, when I was around 24 years old, um, I seeked out a psychotherapist. And, you know, like the psychotherapist always says, this isn't forever. You're going to need me for a little while, and then you're going to go on and do great things. And you may need you may need me again in five years or in a year or in 10 years or never. Um, it's just knowing when you need to access those kind of resources that really kind of help. Those are the times we need them. But what did you feel when you first saw a psychotherapist? Did you think, yeah, I need to do this to get better? I felt, yeah, I felt validated. I felt listened to. At that point, like you said, I was fairly young. And there was this big stigma in society that, you know, mental illness are these homeless people that, that you know, shoot up buildings. Like, no, man, there's, there's 50 million people in the United States today that, that live with mental illness, be it anxiety, depression, or otherwise. So we're not alone. You know, we're a big community of people, and we need to understand that it's not shameful um, or, you know, something to hide from. It's just something to be proud of and, and live with and, and help others. And it's it's something where you never reach the top of the mountain. So it's something that you always have to work on. Yeah, 100%. It's some at some points in life more than others, like like we discussed during COVID. Like I needed a lot more help during that time. Now I'm doing great. I'm living in the sunshine. I'm looking out the window and there's a pool and a jacuzzi out there. Like can it get any better? Like a TV and a couch and watch my football from the hot tub on a Sunday. I mean, come on. Well, <laughs> I can't stop smiling. <laughs> we did do a Fox Five episode where Joe listed off five great things about working with Fox Rehabilitation in Florida. And I and I told you that there are four months out of the year where I'm like maybe I should be in Florida. <laughs> yeah, you could be you could be sipping pina coladas in the hot tub and chilling watching the Super Bowl. <laughs> because I watched the Super Bowl in the hot tub this year. <laughs> <laughs> because late February after the Super Bowl, like when all the football's done, like in into from February to March, man, it's it's a bummer. Yeah, it's, it's dark outside. It's cold. It feels like spring is never gonna come. Yeah, and if you work, if you work in a building and you come in when it's dark and you leave when it's dark, you feel like is yes! it ever light out anymore? Because <laughs> I'll I'll take my kids to school it's dark and then I pick them up and it's, I'm like, where's the sunlight? So, yeah. and I also I also learned from Joe not to give out too many spoilers from our Fox Five episode, but there's actually more daylight hours or more daylight minutes. I think you said 48 more minutes of daylight in yeah. Florida. Mm -hmm. Yeah, where, that's huge. Where did you find that fact, by the way? I looked it up on um, weather.com what time the sun set because I knew it was like 45 minutes, but I looked it up and today, even today, there's a 48 minute difference between sunsets in both areas from Oceanside, New York, where I was from to Land Lakes, Florida, which is just north of Tampa. <laughs> All right. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back more with Joe Nacera here on the Live Better Longer podcast. So during a break, I usually tell you about something that is going to happen, but on this break, I'm going to tell you about something that did happen. As most of you know, last week was APTA's Combined Sections Meeting in Boston. So I just wanted to shout out all of the Fox clinicians who were recognized in the certification ceremony, those that presented, those that were working at our booth, Excellent job all around. 
Always fun being with all of those clinicians in Boston under one roof. And I also wanted to shout out our founder, Dr. Tim Fox, who was presented with the Carol B. Lewis Lecture Award. And if you missed his lecture, dang, where were you? But fear not, you know, maybe you weren't in Boston. But let me tell you this, it was recorded, and at some point you will be able to see it. And let me, I I will give you some spoilers because if you follow Fox Rehabilitation on social media, you probably saw bits and pieces of it. But it opened and closed with a choreographed dance routine from a team of older adult dancers. Simply put, it was awesome. So keep an eye open for that. And if you want to relive any of the moments from APTA's CSM 2024, it's as simple as following Fox Rehabilitation on all of our social media channels. I'm talking Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, TikTok, and Twitter. We captured a lot of the action that happened in Boston on there, if you're curious. And if you go to TikTok, you can see a video of my hotel lamp from CSM and tell me, tell me that thing doesn't look exactly like an Academy Award. All right, we are back on Fox Rehabilitation's Live Better Longer podcast. I'm chatting with Joe Nacera, physical therapist, regional director, all around nice guy. What (laughs) what does it take to get Joe Nacera mad? Watch a Giants game playing the the, the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> no, because you you always of- have a smile on your face. But I'm like, is there anything like if someone, I don't know, like ate from your cereal bowl? Is there something that would get Joe Nacera mad? Yes, don't mess with my family. Okay. <laughs> I think the last time I actually got into an argument with somebody, somebody called my mother a derogatory word in front of me, and kind of like pushed her aside, and I was like. I went from this face to to like just straight red. Okay, well that's admirable. That's admirable. Like that's such a nice thing. Like defending the honor of your mother. (laughs) Jonas Sarah is a nice guy. All right. So, um, you said you're a Giants fan. Big time. I'm a huge sports nut, and and I don't get to talk a lot about sports on the Live Better Longer podcast. But well, why not? Right? I have a football fan. I'm a Steelers fan. And I respect the Mara family because I feel like they're similar to the Rooney family. So right. I'm just curious, Joe, what is your all-time favorite New York Giants moment? Because they've Ooh. had they've had a lot over the years. Ooh, I, I can think of a couple. I'm um, I'm not a Giants fan. I'm a Steelers fan, but I'll tell you what. The first time that the Giants beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl, I called every member of my family almost as if the Steelers won the Super Bowl because we wanted to see the Patriots lose so badly. And it was yeah. so unbelievable because they were undefeated. Like no, one, no one's going to beat the Patriots. So no, that, the Giants were huge that is my all time favorite New York Giants moment. Maybe that's yours too. I don't know. Hopefully so I didn't steal is, yours. You didn't steal mine. That's definitely number one. A, okay. um, but watching Scott Norwood miss that field goal for the Buffalo Bills. Sorry, Bills fans. 
Um, I remember I was I was all of like 13 years old. I remember running down the block and jumping into my best friend's arms like like we just, you know, haven't seen each other in 40 years because of that. Um, so that was one thing that sticks out in my mind uh, as being one of the most amazing. Um, so that was 1990. All right. That was the year that Whitney Houston sang the national anthem yes. at the Super Bowl. And that was an electric moment. In yes. Itself. And then as a child, because you are a New York Giants fan, did you ever pour huge buckets of Gatorade over anyone's head? No. Okay. No, I have not. Okay. I ran into <laughs> Harry Carson at a party once. And he said the reason they did that is because Bill Parcells was so superstitious that after they did it once, they had to do it every time after they won. That was amazing. And that was an event in itself, looking on the sidelines to see who was hiding and what jacket to dump the, the Gatorade <laughs> on the head coach and how to sneak up on him. And to this what day, color the Gatorade would right, be. and to this day, do you know, like for the Super Bowl, that's a prop bet? Like yeah. what color will the Gatorade be? So that's still a thing to this day. Yeah, that was started by, the, I believe it was by the New York Giants. Harry, Yeah, Harry Carson and Jim Burt. I remember them doing it every single time they won. Very cool. All right. Well, Joe, thank you uh, for your time today. Thank you, Jim. I, I had a blast. Though. Thank you so much. I've been looking forward to this for a while. So thank you so much. And maybe maybe for the next Super Bowl, I'll have to work my way down to Florida and watch it in the hot tub. Oh, yeah. With you yeah, and your you're crew. Invited. All right. All I got right. a spot for you. <laughs> <laughs> for Joe Nacera, my name is Jim Shear, and we will see Yens later. Yens later.